Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. Thanks, Blake. <laughs> thanks, you guys. So, first of all, Blake, thanks. It's not that much fun being up here all the time, is it? But... Um, Anyway, if you're a guest today, as Britt said, maybe you just came in or you're just turned on online. My name is Bob Santee, and I am the executive pastor of operations. So what that really means is that if you are here today and it's your first time, you are not getting the full Sunridge experience. So I am personally inviting you to come back uh, in a couple of Sundays when lead pastor Britt Seip is teaching. I promise you will be so glad that you did. Now, for the rest of you who might know me, I'm the guy who gets up here maybe once or twice a month and I come up with those clever transitions at the end of the service so that you can give, right? And you're thinking, unless I fell asleep, it's not the end of the service. What's going on? You're confused. I'm confused too. Because the last time that I came up here and I gave a message, uh, it was on debt. We were in a series called uh, Money Myths and I was talking about debt and we had this uh, idea that that would be a great way to push FPU, Financial Peace University, and it worked. We had about 100 people show up in the multi-purpose room, and it's a nine-week class, and we got to about week six, and then the pandemic hit, and we had to shut it down. Now, since then, we have had unprecedented inflation. We're in a recession. For some reason, we're in a drought, and we have flooding. <laughs> I'm not saying all these things happened because I gave a message. Right? And as a Christian, I'm not superstitious. But if bad things start to happen again, I might be a little stitious. <laughs> Thank you, Michael Scott, for that one. Okay, so I have a pop quiz to get us started today. Kind of get your framework going of what we're going to talk about. So the first question is, what is the most abundant natural resource on the planet? I heard it. Water. That's right. Water covers approximately 72% of our planet. Unfortunately, only about 2.5% of that is fresh water, and about 1% is potable. All right, question two. What is the most abundant energy source on our planet? I heard a couple people, those are probably people who sell solar panels, but yes, it is solar power, <laughs> right? There is a, about 173,000 terawatts of solar energy that is striking the earth continuously. That is more than 10,000 times the world's total energy use. All right, last question. What resource does every organization need to survive? <laughs> you guys know me. So if you haven't guessed, today we're going to be talking about resources. And we're in a series called Exponential. And Brick kicked off this series a few weeks ago, and he used the story of the, the loaves and the fish, and how at that moment the, the disciples were looking at that, and they thought they didn't have enough. And God said, bring it to me, 
and he wound up making something that seemed inconsequential exponential. And just to kind of give us a reminder and get us back into the frame of what that story was, I'm going to read to you from Matthew 14, verses 15 through 21. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is secluded and the hour is already past to eat. Send the crowds away so that they may go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have nothing here except five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked upward to heaven. He blessed the food and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over, those broken pieces. There was 12 full baskets. Now, there were about 5,000 men who ate besides the women and the children. So, from the disciples' perspective, in that moment, those loaves and those fish, they were very limited resources. But you can see what happens when they gave it back to God, right? They, they were able to feed the crowd, and there was plenty left over. God made it exponential. Now, when Britt shared that story with us when he kicked off this series, it got me thinking, and I couldn't help but wonder, you know, how often do we feel like the disciples in this story, that what we have is just simply not enough, so why bother giving it? Maybe you've thought something like, you know, I don't have the time to do a devotional or to read my Bible or to pray. Maybe for you, it's like, you know, I'd love to serve, but I just don't think I have any skills or talents that the church can use. Or I would love to be generous, but inflation is so high, I barely have enough for myself or my family, and I can't hardly pay my bills. The truth is, when it comes to resources, I think all of us get some small measure of time, talent, and treasure. And like the story of the loaves and fishes, God wants to show us what happens when we give back to God what he's given us. So this morning, I want to talk about the exponential power of giving the resources of time, talent, and treasure back to God. Okay, so let's begin with time. Now, I'm going to start by just acknowledging God experiences time completely different than we do. And so, um, I have a question for you. Raise your hand if you've ever heard the term eschatology. Yeah, I knew it. I knew there would be some people out there. Okay, for those of you who have never heard that term or have no idea what I just said, eschatology is the study of the end times. And people really get into that because it's important. But they're trying because they want to find out the, the big things like, when is Jesus coming back? What are the signs that we should be looking for? And somewhere in there, they'll dig into deeper things and they start wondering, you know, is Jesus going to come back before the tribulation, during the tribulation, after the tribulation? Some of you might be saying, what is the tribulation? Here's the thing. They'll, some of you, when you're checking out churches, you'll ask me, Bob, are you a pre-trib, a post-trib, or a mid-trib guy? I'm going to finally tell you guys, I am a pan-trib guy. <laughs> I believe it's all going to pan out exactly the way God wants it to. <laughs> but here's, this is what was going on, though. This is nothing new. People have been wondering this for a long time, even in the early church, because they had been saying Jesus was coming back, but he didn't. So, so in the, uh, Peter addressed this in 2 Peter. And in the process of doing that, he actually says how that our timetable is different than God's. 
So I'm going to read to you in 2 Peter 3, 8, and 9. Uh, Peter wrote, Don't imagine, dear friends, that God's timetable is the same as ours, as the psalm says. For the, with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. Now, the Lord is not slow about enacting his promise. Slow is how some people might characterize it. But no, he is not slow, but patient and merciful to you, not wanting that anyone be destroyed, but wanting everyone to turn away from following his own path and turning toward God's. So I think what you can get from this is that from God's perspective, it's not really the length of time so much as it is what we do with it. He experiences it differently than we do. So we have a different perspective of time. Because for us, time is a limited resource. And the older that we get, the less of it we have. So the average life expectancy in America is 78 years. That means if you live to the average life expectancy, you have just a little under 41 million minutes in your lifetime. I know, right? And so the older we get, the more precious that becomes because we have so much less of it. In fact, that's such a sobering thought that in uh, the fourth chapter of James, he wrote, well, you know, why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Time is precious. And time is fleeting. So what are you going to do with your time? We each get 24 hours a day. So what does it look like when we decide that we want to give a portion of our time back to God? Well, in 1 Chronicles 23:30, the Levites, which were the priests, they were instructed to stand every morning to thank God and praise the Lord, and likewise in the evening. Psalm 5, David wrote this psalm as a prayer of protection against the wicked. He said, in the morning, Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will present my prayer to you and be on watch. In Psalm 59, David wrote this prayer when Saul's assassins were coming to his house. But me, I will sing of your strength. I will awake with the sun to sing your loving mercy, because in my most troubled hour you defended me. You were my shelter. And I love Psalm 1-3. I think this really captures the concept of time and what happens when we give it back to God. It says, Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit at the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. So do you see it? Day and night, morning and evening, over and over again, it shows what happens when we give a portion of our time back to God. We find protection. We find blessing. We prosper. So that means being a follower of Jesus, that, that we, it requires an investment of our time, not out of obligation, but out of reverence, out of love. According to these verses, the ones that I just read, what we should be doing is investing our time in prayer, and that's both listening and talking, in studying His Word, in praising Him. And I think some of you right now are going, yeah, yeah, I get that, but I'm really busy. I just don't have that much time. Okay, here's a few fun facts to digest. The average wait time at Chick-fil-A is eight and a half minutes. Does anyone feel like you're always in line longer? 
Okay, the average football game, yes, there are two playoff games today. The average football game takes three hours and 12 minutes to watch. And on average, people spend 29 minutes a day scrolling through Instagram and 95 minutes on TikTok. Let that one sink in. Right, so we, and I include myself in this, we have the time. We all do. So what does it look like when people are giving back time to God? Can I be honest? I see it all around. I'm at a unique vantage point because I'm here most of the week, but I see people coming in midweek. They volunteer. They're part of something we call the A-team, and they are helping get this building cleaned, and they fix things, and they make sure it's ready for Sunday school, it's ready for Sunday services, it's ready for midweek. But then on Sunday morning, there's a group of people who volunteer their time to make sure that the coffee's ready. They do hospitality. I have people who come in early to be ushers so that you can have a bulletin. And that if there was an emergency, they're going to help you get out of here safely. We have a security team. They're volunteering their time. Of course, there's Sunday school teachers. They prep all week getting those crafts ready for the kids. They're donating their time. They're giving it back to God. And I'll be honest with you. I don't think that they're wishing that they had more time. I think that because they give it to God, they're giving that to him, but seems inconsequential at times, and he is making it exponential. They don't regret doing that. But time is not the only resource that God has given us. He's also given us talents. Now, for the last two Sundays, Pastor Britt has been talking about how we've been uniquely designed. And then last Sunday specifically, he talked about our spiritual gifts. Now, if you have not done your spiritual gifts test that was online, I really recommend you do that. It's absolutely fascinating the way that God has created us and gifted us in ways that we can glorify him and we get to help build up the church. I just want you to do that. Um, But I want to tell you right now that God has also given us talents and skills to give back to God so that we can accomplish things that are far more significant than we can imagine. And I'm going to give you an example of this that is in Exodus. If you are not familiar with your Bible, Exodus is the second book of the Old Testament. And it picks up the story after there was a famine. So Joseph was able to get his family and the Israelites and bring them into Egypt so that they didn't starve to death. And so uh, Exodus begins by introducing a central character in the Bible named Moses. Now, also, I just want to let you know that in a couple of weeks, we're actually going to start a study on the story of Moses' life. So if you think Moses is just the cartoon character from Prince of Egypt or the Ten Commandments, you're going to find out that he is something totally different. So please come back and check out this story. But in Exodus, what we find is the first 18 chapters of Exodus is really dedicated to finding out who Moses is and how God was calling him to lead the people out of Egypt. But then, starting in chapter 19, Exodus sort of shifts, and it starts talking about the covenant of God with his people. And that's where we find things like the Ten Commandments and the social and moral regulations and something called the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle is basically a portable sanctuary. It's a place where people could come and worship. Now, God gave very precise instructions on how he wanted Moses to accomplish this, the look and the functionality of the tabernacle. So 
In Exodus 31, God specifically mentions somebody called Bezalel. And this is what God said to Moses about Bezalel. I'm going to start reading in Exodus 31. He is an expert designer and works well with gold, silver, and bronze. He's able to cut and set gems, work with wood, and skillfully perform any craft needed to help construct the congregation tent and its furnishings. I have appointed Aholiab, the son of Ahizamach, of the tribe of Dan, to assist Bezalel. I have gifted all of Israel's artisans with the skills needed to build everything I have instructed you, the congregation tent, the covenant chest, the seat of mercy that covers it, all the furnishings for the tent, the table and its accessories, the pure gold lampstand with all its tools, the altar of incense, the altar for burnt offerings with all its utensils, the washing basin and its stand, the woven garments, Aaron's sacred priestly garments, the clothes worn by Aaron's sons when they serve as my priests, the anointing oil, the fragrant incense to be used by the, in the holy place, the craftsmen are to design and build all of these exactly as I have instructed you. God gave them the skills that for everything they needed, from the design to the construction, all the way down to the details of the anointing oil and the, the garments that they were supposed to, to wear. God gave them the skills. They gave it back to God, and they were able to build this tabernacle, this portable worship center. So, in 2003, Sunridge was still a church in the box. We were meeting at Temecula Middle School, and that means we would open up these storage things, and we'd bring out the chairs, everything we needed to do at church, and then we'd put it away. And then we knew we needed to get a permanent place. When we first looked at this location we are right now, this was specialty metals. Now, I know for those of you online, this is going to be a really hard thing to imagine, especially if you've never been here, but this room is huge. Right? It can hold 1,173 people. And where you guys are sitting right now, there were semi-trucks when we first saw this. This was a warehouse. There were loading docks out to the back. But then God, just like he called Bezalel, he started calling people. He called people like Jeff Dykehouse and Scott Johnson and Craig McComb and Lisa Flores and Rick Colburn and Rob Foster. He gave them skills. Some of them were sound engineers and designers. Some of them were electricians. Some of them were just really good at managing projects. And because they gave that gift back to God, I mean, look at this place. It's amazing. It looks nothing like a warehouse. It is our tabernacle. But then, you know, that it's, that's, not, that's not the end of the story because we've been here a while, right? And the carpet got pretty old and worn. It was loved a lot. The walls were getting dingy. It needed a facelift. So just like when he called Bezalel, he started calling more people. And he, they, these people helped us with the renovation. I'm talking about people like Roger Yeager and Lindsey Block and Jennifer Thompson and Marcus Emerson and many more. They gave this building a facelift. And I think it looks awesome. Every time I walk in here, I just think, I love the new look in this worship center. And then I think about the ongoing maintenance that this 54,000 square foot building on eight acres requires. And I think about the people throughout this time that I've been here that God has called. I, like I was thinking about Michelle Rodriguez. You know, the first time I saw her come in and help, she had, Carson was so small, he, she could put him in the cart as she cleaned the bathrooms. 
I thought that was really cool. And there's Brian Purvis and Rex Fisk. And then Shauna Klimt. You know, Shauna used to come in here and we had this vacuum cleaner that was a backpack. And she would put it on and she was vacuuming each of those chairs. And she told me she would pray that as people sat in these chairs that they would come to know the Lord. And I think of Mike Lichty. I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> the McGinnis family. Bryant McGinnis had terminal cancer, and he was part of our setup team. He would come when he was too weak to walk. He was in a wheelchair putting out cones. He knew his minutes were less. His time was very valuable. And they're still doing it. I think about Dennis Hall. I think about Gary Winger, Chuck Colburn, my friend Gigi Leslie, Lynn Provenzano. And you know, Blake, he came up here and he read, he's very humble about this. But you know, every time we do baptisms, Blake comes in early, he fills the baptistry, he makes sure the chemicals are just right, and the temperature is good so that when people go in, they're not shocked or boiled. <laughs> Thank you, Blake. I guess the truth is, I could probably spend the rest of the day listing the people who have helped in this church. So if I didn't call your name, I'm really sorry. But I just want to say, thank you. And I really mean that. Thank you. Because for almost 20 years in this building, in this tabernacle, thousands upon thousands of people have heard the gospel. Lives have been changed. Sunridge is a refuge. Sunridge is a safe place where people can come and explore. To help. We, we are helping people find and follow Jesus. Now, for those of you who've been here a while, you know that a lot of those names I called out, they don't even go to Sunridge anymore. Some of them moved away. Some of them just don't go to Sunridge anymore. And I think that's okay. And I'm not going too far out on a limb when I say that I think that when they see what God has done exponentially through the gift that they gave, that they're not disappointed and they don't regret giving their time and their talent to this at all. Okay? So, just like when God was calling Bezalel to help build the tabernacle, I can't help but wonder, is he calling you? Are you good with numbers? Are you good with photography or video? Can you tell a story really good to a, to a child? Are you good at leading a home group? Whatever it is, would you be interested in finding out how you could take that, just a portion of that skill, a portion of your time, and give it back to God? And imagine what we could do in this valley and beyond with that. All right. Are you guys with me so far? Everyone okay? So here's the thing. As you can tell, giving back our time and our talent brings us joy, and it builds the church. Right now you're thinking, Bob, don't do it. Don't do it. You're going to start talking about my money. I don't want you to start talking about my money. Well, before we do that, let's just talk about some basic understandings of ownership and stewardship. So let's see what the Bible has to say about that. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Haggai 2.8 says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. 
Psalm 50:10. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. And 1 Chronicles 29, 12, both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. So just in case you had any doubt or you missed it, it all belongs to God. It's all his. That means we don't own anything. It's not our house. It's not our car. It's not our jewelry. It's not our iPhone. It's not even our spouse, and it's not our kids. It's all God's. You know, I think that what, because God is such a great giver that he's entered into something that I guess you could almost say it's a fiduciary trust that he has with us, right? He's the owner, this is all mine, and I'm going to give it to you, and I want you to manage it well. And I think part of managing God's resources well means staying out of debt. But you don't have to take my word for that. Let's see what the Bible says about debt. Proverbs 21.20, there is precious treasure and oil in the home of the wise, but a foolish person swallows it up. Proverbs 22.7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Psalm 37.21, the wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. And Romans 13.8, oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. It's going to surprise you to hear me say this, so I'm glad you're sitting down. But going into debt is not considered a sin. But it is never talked about positively. It's not a sin to go into debt. But it is interesting that in Colossians, the Apostle Paul likens our sin to debt. Colossians 2, 13 and 14, it was God who brought us to life with him, forgave all our sins, and eliminated the massive debt we incurred by the law that stood against us. He took it all away. He nailed it to the cross. So Sunridge took on debt. To move into this building, we had saved about two and a half million dollars, but to buy the property and to renovate it, we needed to borrow an, almost another five million. That's a lot of money. That's a big debt. And I can just tell you, as someone who came on staff after the debt was taken, it has been a challenge because what you may or may not know is commercial loans typically balloon every five years, so you are subject to interest rates. And when I came on staff, we entered into what was now known as the Great Recession. The interest rate kept going up. It became more and more expensive to stay in this building. And I would pray. For a while, I was praying daily that God would just pay off our debt, and he didn't do it. But then in 2019... I was watching the interest rates, and even though it wasn't time to reset our loan, I we worked with the bank, and we were able to renegotiate uh, at a very low rate. So right now, this is important that you guys, I know this sounds like a lot of numbers. Right now, in 2019, we were able to refinance for 3.5%. That's really, really low. But that also means that in December of 2024, we're headed for a rate reset. We currently owe $2.6 million. If nothing changes come uh, 2024, we're going to be paying a whole lot more for this same building. That just doesn't sound like fun. Debt is keeping us 
from doing what I think God is calling us to do. I think about what we can do if we were debt-free. So, are you ready for a little optimistic news? I am. So, for those of you, I think we can do it. I think we can pay this building off before the rate reset. And here's how. For those of you who get the quarterly emails from Britt on the, because you're a financial supporter of Sunridge, he shared with you a plan. And I think it's a brilliant plan. So I'm going to ask uh, Megan to go ahead and put, there's going to be a picture of our property from Google Earth. That is Sunridge Community Church from above, and that is the eight acres that we currently own. You can see where I put a couple of orange lines and I put a 27 and a 28 because technically those are lots 27 and 28 and I couldn't not do that. So as long as I have been here, we've never parked in those lots. We've rented it. We've done all kinds of things up there, but we've never used it. We didn't need it to get into this building for the conditional use permit. We have more than enough parking based on our maximum occupancy size. So we worked with... Um, a real estate agent, and we believe each one of those lots, which by the way, each one is about an acre, is worth $1.2 million. Imagine if we could sell those. You guys, you, you thought I cried talking about my friend Brian? <laughs> you watch what happens if we sell lots 27 and 28. You are going to hear a whole lot of debt-free and 23 Logan slogans coming out of my mouth. Okay? So, Sunridge has debt, and it's not a sin, but man, it certainly isn't positive. Here's the thing. Sunridge is not alone when it comes to carrying debt. According to the Federal Reserve, the American household debt hit a record of $14.6 trillion in the spring of 2021. And per a 2021 CNBC report, the average American has $90,460 of debt this is good news or not, I don't know, but that does include everything. That's credit cards, personal loans, mortgages, and student debt. This is what I know. It's really hard to give God his money back when we're so overextended and paying on debt. It prevents us from experiencing the exponential power of what God wants to do with that money that he's entrusted to us. So if you're struggling with money, I think it usually comes down to one of two things. So it could be that there's a math problem, right? Everyone needs to live on a budget. But honestly, it's not taught anymore. Nobody really knows how to do a budget. You don't learn it in school. You don't learn it in college. So where do you learn about it? And when you, because you don't know and you feel like you should, you're embarrassed to even ask for help. I'm just going to tell you, I had plans of coming up here and showing you how to do a zero-based cash flow budget, and then we were going to show the exponential power of the debt snowball. I was going to do all of that in this message, but I'm going to run out of time way before that. So instead, I'm just going to invite you to come to FPU, Financial Peace University. It starts next Sunday. Diane and I are leading it at 1 o'clock on the Sunridge campus. It's nine weeks that will absolutely transform your life. It will teach you how to... Uh, do a budget. It will teach you how to get out of debt and stay out of debt. It will teach you how you can retire with dignity. It is a wonderful class that will help you to see how to use money in God's way. So there, if you have a math problem, boom, I just solved that for you. Now, here's the thing. I think other times it's a heart issue, right? Chapter six of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, 
Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Please notice the, the subtlety of that, of what came first. But then just a couple verses later, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for either you, you, ha, he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Well, it's easy for wealthy people to be generous because they have so much extra to give. I really think that's backwards thinking. I think that when people are generous and they learn to give, those are the people that become wealthy. And believe it or not, there are statistics to back that up. But sometimes, and I'm one of those people, experience is a great teacher. So one of my roles here at Sunridge is that I get to oversee the Benevolence Fund, which is the Agape Fund. The Agape Fund is 100% supported by your donations. So on the third uh, Sundays when we do communion, we say dollar days, all those dollars go to the Agape Fund. And it's there to help people who are in financial crisis. And I love that we get to help people. But I've noticed something over the years, and it's the rare, and I really mean rare exception, that when somebody comes and asks for help, that they're a giver. Isn't that interesting? Like, they're in trouble with money, and yet they've never learned how to give. I think when we take the focus off of our own needs, and we learn to trust God, we become generous, we become selfless, and typically we wind up with more than enough than we need. And that sounds a lot like the loaves and fishes stories to me. So what does it look like when people entrust their money with what God has given them and they give it back? I'm going to show you some Sunridge giving statistics. No, I'm not putting up donation statements. Don't. A lot of you got a real panic just now. No, okay, so we're going to start right now. Um, last year, Sunridge averaged about 320 adults per Sunday, and that's including online viewers, so that's a good number. The next slide shows that Sunridge averaged 200 giving units per month. Now, what's a giving unit, right? That's how, what's eschatology? A giving unit is not a biblical term. It's a term that I use to, to, to define what, how people give. So, for example... Diane and I were a giving unit, even though we're two persons. But Maddie, she's a single person, so she's a giving unit. The wingers, wherever they are, that's a whole bunch of people. That's one giving unit, right? So that's what a giving unit is. It's how we can measure that. So there were 245 total giving units that gave more than twice in the last 12 months. Of the 245 giving units, 51, which is about 21%, average 700 or more per month. And I know some people are thinking, that's a weird number. Why on earth would you pick 700? Well, I tried to figure out what the average or the median income in Temecula was and what a tithe would be. So there's really no big spiritual significance to 700. It was just a, a place I wanted to pick. Now, I know that I just hit my tee shot deep into the woods, right? You guys are saying, that's a bunch of numbers. I don't get it. What's going on? Imagine, for just a minute, if the people who are on the side that doesn't give $700 per month 
gave $10 a month, or I'm sorry, $10 a week. They were able to figure out how to give $10 a week more. This is where it gets exponential. $10 may seem inconsequential. Now for some of you, I'm gonna put a pause on that, that's a lot and you can't do it. And this is in no way meant to heap guilt on you. If you are not in a position to be giving back to God right now, he still loves you, it's okay. But for those of you who just aren't really aware of this, I just wanna show you $10 a week extra would be $100,000 that would go to the bottom line of this church annually. That's exponential. Now, what about for the people who have not yet trusted God with their finances at Sunridge? I was going to figure that number out, but honestly, I don't know who you are, so I, it was hard to pick a number. So I did some research, and did you know that on most churches, about 37% of the people in attendance do not support their church financially? I don't believe that's true at Sunridge. I believe it's way less. But for the sake of creating a number, I went ahead and said, let's, let's do it's 25%. So if the 25% who have not tried or tested God with giving to Sunridge, gave $10 a week. That would be another $42,000 annually. Did you know if you add those two numbers up, that's pretty much what we've had to cut the budget the last two years. Now, it is very, very important to me that you don't hear something that I did not say. I am not talking about a prosperity gospel. I am not talking about name it and claim it. God is not a genie that we can just rub and he's going to suddenly do whatever we want and make us wildly wealthy. There is no magic formula to gaining wealth. I'm not saying that at all. And I'm not saying if you don't give, you're not going to go to heaven and God doesn't love you. I'm, please do not hear that today. What I am saying is that it's all God's. And he's asking us to be good managers with whatever it is that he's given you. He wants us to be cheerful givers, not out of compulsion. In fact, everything I just said could be summed up best in uh, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth when he said, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, this morning, Blake got up here and he read from Mark 12. And some of you might be thinking, so far, nothing has tied back to that. Here we go. When, when, when Jesus was telling that parable, he knew that the people who were listening to that, they would immediately hearken back to Isaiah 5. They knew that the, the vineyard owner was God because he owns it all. He, he owned the vineyard. He built the walls. He built the wine press. He did everything. It was all God's. And he generously let people be in there. And occasionally he wanted to come back and reap some of the, just a portion of the fruit that they had. And instead people beat them, killed them, sent them away. And finally the vineyard owner, which is God, said, you know what? I'll send my son He's my beloved son. I'm going to send him. They'll, they'll respect him. But they didn't. Instead, they killed his son. And it's interesting that Jesus said that. Right now, I am going to ask the band to come up as I wrap this up. Because in a few verses later, they, they were trying to trick Jesus, right? They wanted to, to, to get him so that they could eventually kill him. And so the, the church leaders of that day said, Jesus, should, should we pay taxes? Jesus was so brilliant. He's more clever than they are. He said, let me see the coin. And it was Caesar's on it. And he said, you know what? 
This is, this is Caesar's. Render, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Because he knew we should be paying our taxes. We should be following our government, right? But then he said, but give to God what is God's. And that's the key. It's all God's, right? When you look at the money, there's, there's an image of Caesar on it. There's an image of Washington or Lincoln or whoever, right? That belongs to them. It's, that's not. But all of us, we have the image of God imprinted on us. We are his image bearers. We belong to God. Now, I know some of you came here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, okay, that, that was a lot of stuff about us giving to God. What's, what's the deal? Does God, is this what I need to do to be a Christian? No, God does not need your time. He does not need your talent. He does not need your money. He doesn't need any of that. But if you think about it, for those of us who are followers of Christ, we put our faith in trust in Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And at that moment, he comes and he dwells in us. And I just want to say that at that moment, we start slowly to become more and more and more like God. And I want to tell you guys, God is the ultimate and best giver. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And that is the good news. Will you stand and worship with us? Hey everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.